Hello. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. We hope that you will be encouraged and it builds your faith. Thanks for listening. And, uh, you know, we've been in a series on the book of Ephesians that I just began teaching through the book of Ephesians. And uh, the title of this series is Living It Up. And, um, and so we've just been a couple of weeks. You know, the last couple of weeks that I have shared, I've not really given you a background of, of, of Ephesus, uh, of the church at Ephesus, and not really laid a strong foundation for you. But tonight I want to do that, and I want to give you a little bit of the foundation of the city of Ephesus and a little bit about the early church that was there so that as we move forward, you have an idea of what these early church members had to face and what they were facing. And uh, this, is, I, this is one of the most incredible books of the Bible. And Ephesus was one of the most incredible cities in all the world. And, uh, of course, we know it's from Ephesus that Paul was enabled to plant the other six churches that became a part of the seven churches of Asia and uh, which Jesus writes letters to in the book of Revelation. We're going to talk a little bit about that tonight. But I, I want tonight, I want to begin to just lay a little bit of foundation of the city of Ephesus so you have an idea of what uh, this city was like. We're going to look at a couple passages of Scripture. Um, but remember, this is a Bible study, so it's a little different Sunday morning. And um, I'm going to try to teach. Sometimes I try to teach and I get to preaching. But I'm going to try to teach. I'm going to try to stay within the teaching realm of it uh, so that we can get a strong foundation of what is going on in this book. And so, and then I've got a special treat for you tonight. Somebody who has been to Ephesus and has been there a couple of times, who has done archaeological work there, is in our midst tonight. And I bet you didn't even know that. You didn't know how special this place was. That we have people that have actually been to Ephesus here tonight. And uh, we actually, uh, there is someone whose parents were missionaries in Turkey, not far from Ephesus. And in that region, they were missionaries uh, for four or five years they were in the region. And, uh, and so uh, their parents were missionaries there. And so, um, but we have a special guest who's going to share just a minute about uh, Ephesus. But if you would... Uh, but before I get into that, can I share something with you? Um, I, don't, I don't usually um, have visions, and I'm not, you know, I don't have a lot of visions. I don't dream a lot. If I, if I dream, it's usually about somebody's chasing me, trying to kill me, and, and, you know, I run off a cliff, and you wake up right before you splatter, right? <laughs> and, uh, or it's some monster or something that's trying to get you. So I'm, I, I don't spiritually dream a lot, and I don't have a lot of visions, uh, I don't know why. Maybe, maybe God just chose not. He gives that to my wife. And so she dreams all the time. And I get to hear them all, every bit of them. And they're not just dreams, but they're dreams in detail. Y'all know what I'm saying? Like if I have a dream, I wake up and say, you know, I dreamed that I, that I did this or did that. And it's very, you know, kind of casual. You know, I went here, I went that, and I did that. But when she dreams, she wakes up. She tells every the colors of things, what she sees, who she talks to. I mean, I mean, it's like so detailed, you know? It could be a book. How many are thankful for your wives that are detail-oriented? And all the men said amen, right? And uh, to, to the women, it's all about the details. 
Don't leave out the details. You'll get in trouble by leaving out the details. But I, I want to tell you something that's in, uh, that a very incredible encounter that I've had with God this past couple days, these past few days. And, um, and I don't know what it means. All I know is, is that it's, it happened, and, uh, but I'm seeking God about it, and I believe God is, is going to speak to me about it. But I had an incredible experience. This past weekend on Saturday and Sunday, our air conditioning at our house went out. And so Saturday night and Sunday night, I didn't have, we didn't have air in our house. And it was about 80-something degrees inside the house. And how many know that's pretty miserable, right? And for a guy like me who sweats a lot and who loves air conditioning, when I get to heaven, I'm going to hug the guy that invented air conditioning. If he's there. If he's not there, he's going to need air conditioning. But I thank God for the man that, that created air conditioning. I don't know who it is. Maybe you can Google it and let me know who he was. Um, but we didn't have air conditioning. So in the evenings, you know, we had fans and we were, you know, I think it was like 80 something degrees one night, 88 in the house one night. And, um, and so, but as I was sleeping, um, for two nights on Saturday night and Sunday night, two times God woke me up twice, once each night, once in the middle of the night, and then early in the morning. So there were just, and then it happened again last night. And so what, what happened was is that uh, in the middle of the night, I be tossing and turning, couldn't sleep very well, tossing and turning. I woke up in the middle of the night, and uh, I call it a flash vision. I don't know what you'd call it. That's what I call it. I put an identity on it. I woke up, and God gave me a flash vision, and it was just a moment. It wasn't very long. I, it was just a flash vision, and the Lord spoke to me, and it was over. And then in the morning, early in the morning, five and six in the morning, I woke up again uh, to use the restroom, and the Lord gave me a flash vision. And it happened twice, Saturday night and, uh, and Sunday night, and then it happened again last night. But let me tell you what happened. On Saturday night, the Lord woke me up, and the first vision I had was the Lord gave me a vision of the burning bush and Moses at the burning bush. Each one of these flash visions that the Lord gave me uh, was visions of fire, they all had to do with fire. And, uh, and so I woke up and there was Moses at the burning bush. And there was the burning bush. It was burning. It was being non-consumed. And the Lord spoke to me and said to me, said, this is the fire of, of my commissioning. And that was it. This is the fire of my commissioning. And so I thought, you know, that was, I mean, it just was like, Wow. And so in the morning when I woke up, I had another flash vision, and this vision was Peter standing beside the fire and the damsel girl accusing Peter of being one of Jesus' followers. And the Lord spoke to me immediately, and uh, this is what he said. He said, the Lord said, said to me that this is the fire of testing, approving. It's a fire of testing and proving. And I thought, man, that's good. And so I tucked that away, and I thought, man, that's, that's good. Lord, what are you trying to say? So I had that on my mind all Saturday. Well, um, all sun, Saturday, or Sunday morning. And then Sunday night, it happened again. And what happened again Sunday night is that um, I saw the Apostle Paul. I woke up in the middle of the night, and the Apostle Paul was on the island of Malta, and he was putting sticks on a fire, 
and a snake came out. You all know the story. came out and attached itself to Paul. And the Spirit of the Lord spoke to my heart. And, uh, and he said this. He said, said, this is the fire of adversity. This is the fire of adversity. And I thought, okay. And so, and then uh, Monday morning, the same night, I woke, uh, woke up early in the morning. I had the fourth one. And uh, it was the picture of Jesus. It was Peter on the shore. Y'all remember when Peter denied Jesus and he went back fishing? And Jesus came on the shore and, uh, and had yelled out to Peter, had he caught anything, and gave him instructions on what to catch. And he caught a big catch and he brought it in. And Jesus began to cook on the fire. And at the fire, Jesus began to speak to uh, Peter and began to ask Peter some questions. He said, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, Lord, you know I love you. Peter, do you love me? And, and so I had that vision. And the Lord spoke to me and said, this was the fire of surrender. This was the fire of surrender. You know, I love that passage of Scripture because I, I always say this when I preach this passage. I always wonder. I say, you know, Peter went back to fishing. I thought to myself, where did Peter get his boat? I mean, he went back to fishing. Jesus called him, called him to follow him three years earlier. So where did Peter get his boat? And I felt like the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, Peter never got rid of his boat. And the reason why he couldn't surrender was that he was always attached to his old life. He thought in his mind, well, if this Jesus thing doesn't work out, I'll go back to fishing. And sometimes that's how we think. We keep connections in our old life. We never cut those ties. And the Lord spoke to my heart and said, that is, that is the, it's the fire of surrender. And we know that from that point on, Peter's life was changed. And I don't know if we ever have a story of Peter being in the boat after that. But I guarantee you he got rid of that boat. Why? Because his life became totally surrendered. And so this morning I woke up and I had another one of those flash visions. And, uh, and this morning, I just had one. And this morning it was the three Hebrew children in the midst of the fiery furnace. And the Lord spoke to me and said, this is the fire of my protection and my preservation. How many are thankful there is a fire that God sends that preserves and protects our lives? I mean, praise God. And so after a couple Sundays of preaching on holy heartburn, I woke up, I had holy heartburn. <laughs> you know, I had just like the, the two men that was on the road to Emmaus and they talked with Jesus and the Bible says that and Jesus uh, revealed himself to them and their eyes became enlightened and they said to one another, did our hearts not burn within us when he spoke to us? I mean, that's how I feel tonight. Does not your heart burn inside of you when the word of God speaks to your life? And those, those men who were disappointed at what they saw at Calvary was walking back to their cities. All of a sudden, the fire of God hit their heart. You know what they did? They ran back to Jerusalem, seven miles back to Jerusalem to join the apostles and the other believers to share with them that they had saw the risen Christ. And scholars believe that they were with the apostles on the day of Pentecost. And they really received fire then. And so I don't know what that means tonight. All I know is, is that the Lord has showed me that and my heart is burning inside just with that revelation. And I thought, 
God is getting ready to pour out on us. And we have to understand that there is a fire. There is a, there is a fire of commissioning that comes on our life that God calls us. There is a fire of testing where he'll prove who we are. There's the fire of surrender. There's the fire of adversity. But there is a fire that protects and preserves our life that God puts around us and protects us. And so I don't know where we're going with that tonight. All I want you to know is that that just had an impact on me. If it doesn't bless any of the rest of y'all, it blessed me tonight. And so I come in with holy heartburn tonight. And uh, God is opening our eyes to revelation. So if you'll turn tonight to the book of, of Ephesians chapter 1. I want to read just a couple of verses tonight. And um, as I said, I want to get in tonight talking a little bit about the Ephesian church and giving you some background on the Ephesian church. Verses 15 and 16 uh, and 17, I want to read tonight uh, in Ephesians chapter 1. And uh, I won't get to all to those verses all tonight, but we'll get started on it. Verse 15, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. That's powerful because Paul began this chapter in praise. Now he went from praise to prayer. And so we know this is a prayer. Paul's about ready to, to do intercession, intercessory prayer. He's getting ready to pray for the saints that are at Ephesus. And um, he says, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention to you in my prayers, that the God, uh, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom, revelation, and the knowledge of him. Paul says that I'm praying for you. I'm mentioning you in my prayer. I've seen your faith, and I've seen your love for one another, and I'm praying that God will show you, will open, and give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation that you may have a knowledge of Christ that you do not have. It's a powerful scripture. This is a powerful prayer as it continues on. Turn with me over to the book of Revelation chapter 2. I want to read a couple of passages of scriptures. We all know this passage in Revelation. Jesus is speaking of Ephesus, the church at Ephesus. Um, he writes a letter to them, which is a few decades later that he gives to John. And, um, and this is what the scripture says. To the angel of the church at Ephesus write, These things saying, He who holds the seven stars at his right hand, and who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have been patient and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore... From where you have fallen, repent and do your first works or else I will come and quickly remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. But this you have, and you have hated the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to him who overcomes. Listen to this. 
To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. And so tonight, I want to just give you a little bit of background of the Ephesian church that I haven't been able to do the last couple of weeks. And then I want to close with a thought. Paul was writing to, of course, to the believers in Ephesus. These are this letter of the Ephesians is not just written to the Ephesians, but most scholars believe that this was a letter that was circulated to all seven churches and uh, that Paul had written, and that was it was given to all of the churches of Asia Minor. Now, for, out of the church of Ephesus came the planting of all the other six churches. And uh, because of the powerful move of God that happened in Ephesus, and we read about that in Acts 18 and 19, if you want to read the story of what happened. Now, the Ephesian church was a powerful church. It had some powerful leaders that pastored it. Paul was there for uh, almost three years and had come through and went back at another stint. But Paul also, uh, Aquila and Priscilla was there. Apollos did a short stint there. Timothy pastored there. And then, of course, towards the end, the, the, the apostle John pastored there. And we'll hear more about him in, a little bit later. Um, and so the disciple John led that church. Um, and his actually, the apostle John's devotion to Jesus became offensive to the many gods of the Roman Empire which included Caesar. And so John offended everybody. <laughs> Matter of fact, they offended him so much that Domitian took him and boiled him in oil. And when he couldn't kill him, <laughs> when he tried to kill him and couldn't kill him, he exiled him to the island of Patmos. I mean, how would you like the protection of God on your life that when the enemy tries to kill you, that he can't kill you? And John went to the island of Patmos. He was sent to Patmos, which was 50 miles off the coast of Turkey. And Jesus gives him, while he's there, he gets the revelation of the book of the Revelation. Now, Ephesus was a cultural center in the world. It was the Paris, it was the New York of, of, the, of the ancient world. And uh, it was the center of all worship. There was a, it was the center of cult worship. Matter of fact, there was a goddess that was worshipped there, a temple, a massive temple that was there by the goddess Artemis. Uh, to the Romans, it was the god Diana. And, uh, and it was, the temple was so massive, it was considered one of the seven wonders of the world, and it doesn't even stand today. Um, um, and so, but in, in the midst of this, the Ephesian church really thrived in the midst of this culture. Um, they, they, in this pagan environment, the early church uh, really thrived and was powerful. Um, and so Paul being there, John, Timothy, uh, all of them were there. And uh, um, tourists came from all over the world to Ephesus. They do it today. Tourists come from all over the world to see the city of Ephesus um, its ruins today are amazing. What's left, there's not a whole lot that's left, but what is there is amazing. I told you when I was in Great Britain at the British Museum, they have some of the, uh, some of the artifacts from some of the temples 
uh, that were in Ephesus, some of the gods that were worshipped, the statues uh, in the British Museum. I saw some of them, some of the top of the temples, some of the gargoyles, some of the different artifacts, and they, they're absolutely, the ruins are absolutely amazing. And uh, they had one of the great libraries in all the world called the Celsus Library. And uh, as you enter the city, um, through the archway, you would enter the city. There were two ways to enter the city, but when you entered the city through, uh, you would come in and there would be the Celsus Library, and then you'd walk through the archway, and an inscription on the archway um, said this. It said that, it says that Caesar is God. And, and, and there was a inscription that Caesar was God, and so not only did they worship multiple types of idols, but they also Caesar worshiped. Uh, Caesar was considered God. That inscription is on the archway as you walk in, and it's uh, uh, the worship of Caesar. And just inside, when you just get inside the city, uh, you see immediately, if you were living in that day, you would immediately see the immorality immediately. There was a brothel, a huge brothel that was uh, right there in the city of Ephesus. And so you saw immediately the immorality that was taking place and would have taken place just inside the city. Again, reminder of the rampant sexual immorality that went on in Ephesus and what was rampant in the culture. But the heart of the city was its marketplace. And its marketplace was called the Agora. Um, the most, it was, Ephesus was one of the most important trade cities in the world. And uh, they had a, they had a uh, agora, which was a market area, which was huge. Uh, it was a, a square area. It had columns. There was a portico that covered uh, much of it. And people would have their trade inside these porticos. And people, that marketplace was, was you know, it, I mean, there was a, it was a port city. So goods would come from all over the world into Ephesus. I mean, it was a, it was a power city. Ephesus was a wealthy city, a cosmopolitan city. Jews lived there. Gentiles lived there. Persians lived there. And, um, and of course, as you walked into the Agora, immediately you would smell all of the spices and all of the different types of fragrances and spices from all over the world, from distant lands. There were colored textiles that were sold there. It was a place of social gathering, and uh, it was like the mall on steroids, right? It was like the mall on steroids. And so, but there were some challenges for the early Christians. And, uh, and I, I want to say, number one, there's some challenges that the early Christians had. Number one, when you entered into the Agora, uh, when you entered into it, we have some pictures of some of these places. Uh, when you entered into the Agora, there were some challenges for the early Christians because uh, that's the library of, of Celsus there that you see. That is the uh, marketplace, the Agora. That is the ruins of the Agora, the marketplace there. When you entered into there, um, you would, they would require you to take some incense and put it on an altar that was burning as a, as a homage to Caesar. It was a, uh, if you were 
a Roman citizen or from Rome, uh, you would have to uh, put that incense on the altar as a way of entryway into the Agora to show your allegiance to Caesar. Now, that was a problem for some Christians. Christians did not want to give their allegiance to Caesar. So they struggled with that loyalty, that claim, um, because there was this claim that it was, it was paying homage, acknowledging the fact that Caesar was God. Christians struggled with that, that acknowledgement. And so think about it. It's like today when we are uh, forced to compromise in some way that would compromise our convictions for the Lord. And, uh, you know, sometimes the test of our walk with God is our ability to stand strong with conviction in our lives. I'm telling you, we're living in an hour when our government more and more is trying to take more advantage and begin to put more restrictions on and take freedoms and liberties away from us where we don't have the choice anymore to the choice of freedoms in our life. And what's going to happen is you, you're, we're going to find out, I think, in the last days, as the years to come, that we're going to have to make a choice whether we want to purchase and sell in the marketplace if we don't pay homage to government and to, and to, and to governmental leaders. We're going to have to choose either to stand for God or to, or to yield to the compromise of the culture. I mean, we have that now today. Many of you have that challenge in business. Maybe you have that challenge where you work, where you uh, are put in situations where you have to make the decision whether or not you have to compromise or not. I've had many Christian businessmen that have expressed to me that they have at times had to uh, lose sales or lose business because they weren't partiers or because they didn't engage into worldly activity that many worldly businessmen would do. And so they would have to make the decision to stand by their conviction and they would lose business because of it. And, uh, and so they're put in that place where they have to make a choice. And sometimes we're all put in the place where we have to make choices about convictions in our life. Y'all with me tonight? You understand that that's, that's something that we have to decide whether or not we're going to walk in. When, when I became a Christian, I had to decide whether or not I was going to put boundaries in my life that protected what God was doing in me, right? Sometimes we have to protect the Spirit of God, that the anointing that is on our life. So we have to say no to some things. We have to learn to live with conviction. It was a challenge for the early church because they, there was the challenge of, of having to decide whether they were going to enter the marketplace, yield to Caesar, or yield to God. Now, sometimes over the course between emperors of Rome, some were not as restrictive, and so sometimes the early church flew under the radar with some of that, but that was still a challenge. Number two, there was the worship of pagan deities. There were 14 different um, idol temples that were inside of Ephesus. 
None rivaled the temple of Artemis. The goddess Artemis um, was the god of fertility and life. She was the god of fertility and life. And um, put that picture of Artemis up there. And this is a statue of her. Um, there was the temple that was there. And, um, and so for a thousand years, um, her reign started about a thousand BC. And the belief is, is that the gods dropped her from heaven and that she was, she was a goddess that was dropped from heaven into the world. She was the goddess of fertility. Um, um, and so this was the headquarters of her worship. Ephesus was the city. Matter of fact, the temple was considered one of the seven wonders of the world. It was over 150 yards long and over 100 yards wide. It had 127 columns that held up the temple, and all the town, everybody worshiped at the temple, at the, the temple of Artemis. Matter of fact, um, it invaded every aspect of their life, every aspect of the, of the culture. Matter of fact, much of the banking system was located at the temple. Uh, you could get loans, and they would give loans, and the, it was the interest that would upkeep the temple. There was commerce that would come through the temple. It had invaded everyday life. You could not, it was hard to, to the early church found it hard to evade the influence of, of Artemis and the temple there and its impact on the world. Matter of fact, uh, the temple was a place of, of uh, there were many different temples. Many of them, there was the temple of prostitutes, both male and female, um, and uh, which you could only imagine what would happen in those, in those places. Every year there was a parade festival that would go through the city of Ephesus. It would celebrate Artemis' birthday. And uh, it went down what was called the sacred way. And thousands of people would take and the uh, silversmiths would make idols of Artemis, and they would pray through uh, that sacred way, and they would go down to the harbor, and they would dip their idols into the ocean, and it was a picture of, of, of Artemis regaining her virginity again, and it was this huge festival. Could you imagine what that was like? Probably a lot like some of the festivals we have today, um, and so um, they, they were, I mean, they were, they were just, it was just completely immoral. Matter of fact, they would have these festivals and in the temples, they, there'd be such sexual immorality that, that there'd be those who would castrate themselves. They would castrate themselves and, and take what they castrated and offered to the goddess Artemis and would become a temple priest through their castration. Now, I want to tell you all something. That's, that's pretty scary right there. I, that hurts just talking about it. <laughs> I mean, can you see the challenges of the early church to live in a society such as that? I'm just telling you, that's not much different than the society we live in. I mean, it's getting just as bad. And I, I'm telling you, the struggles that are that are 
that we face, the things that we have to are bombarded with every day. I mean, I look at these young people on Sunday and I'm thinking to myself, I would not want to be a teenager again. I would not. I would not want to be a teenager. I would not want to have to, you know, be a te- and to face what, what is facing them in this hour. I'm telling you, they're going to need power. They're going to need the Holy Ghost in order to survive. And so the challenge of the early church was to live in a society like that. That's our challenge today, is to live in the society that we live in with all of these external things that are going on, the immorality that is going on. You, we may not have temples of idol that is going on, but there are idols that are in our nation that people are bowing down to every day. You don't think so? You don't think that professional sports has become an idol in this nation? I know, I'm, I, I'm meddling. But I'm telling you, it has become a place where it has become, these things have become, people have become obsessed with these things. They get obsessed with money and obsessed with, with uh, I mean, these are the things, I mean, to, to live in this hour, in this society, is just as challenging. Then they, the early church had to deal with the worship of, of emperors. Um, Ephesus was called a city called Neocoroas. I hope I'm saying that. Dr. Sean, you'll have to correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong. But there were certain, ten, there were certain Roman cities that, had the, that were given the privilege that through their own city would raise an a image or an, uh, an idol to whoever was emperor. Ephesus twice. Uh, they built early in the first century, they built an a, um, idol to Augustus. And then later on in this day, in Paul's day, they had built an uh, idol to uh, Domitian. And uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Domitian, um, but the city would host a temple in honor of the emperor. And so it was to say that the emperor was God. And so this temple of Domitian was built on the highest place in the city of Ephesus. And not only was it the highest place, that all the idols that were worshipped in Rome were statues that were built underneath this, this image of Domitian. Some say that, that, that Domitian's statue stood 50 feet tall with his right arm raised and power. And when boats would come in through the port city, the first thing they saw was the image of Domitian. It was intimidating for the early church because nobody persecuted the early church more than Domitian and Nero. Both of them were huge persecutors of the early church. And so early Christians, you know, they were the most brutal in their persecution to the other. And so the emperors claim to be God. Matter of fact, they use terms like this, Savior, Lord, and Master. And all, the way they controlled the empire was that they required everyone to worship Caesar, Roman citizens. And uh, at times would have to publicly affirm with their own voice that Caesar was Lord. Now that'd be a challenge, right? Could you imagine our government forcing us to proclaim someone else as God 
instead of the God we serve, forcing us to pay homage to a president or a leader. I mean, we see it as dictators rule the world. We see that they demand that kind of loyalty at times. But not only do we have the challenge of of living in the culture and the worship of of deities. Third, there there is the presence of the demonic and demonic activity throughout the city. The, uh, in Ephesus, there was what was called oracles. They were priests to the gods and the goddess, goddesses. And they, they were oracles. They were those who spoke for the, the gods and the goddesses. They were, they were those who would, who would speak curses. Uh, they dwelled in the temple of uh, Didymus. Uh, they would cast spells and curses. They would, um, they would uh, whip worshipers. They would, uh, you know, there was this huge demonic presence that was throughout the city that was seen and known throughout the city. Paul, that's why Paul wrote to the church in Ephesians 6 about the armor of God. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, right? But of powers and principalities and rulers in high places. In other words, What's Paul saying? Paul, Paul was saying, listen, in the midst of this demonic culture, in the midst of this, this society, you have to live up. You have to live under the Spirit of God. In this hour, we've got to learn to live it up. We've got to learn to live under the open heaven and the promises that have been given to us through Christ Jesus. We have been given many of them. Jesus, in his letter to the Ephesians, there was no hint that they had compromise at all, which would have been easy to do. I mean, it had been easy for them to do. But he said that you even, you even hated the Nicolaitans. You come against apostles that were false. You came against false teaching. Jesus commended them that they even... They even came against the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Now, the Nicolaitans were, were those, uh, some believe that Nicholas, who was one of the seven that had been chosen by the early church to take care of the widows, and, uh, and he fell out into false teaching. And the Nicolaitans were those who followed that teaching. They were really, they believed they were real, really Gnosticists. Uh, they were absorbed in Greek philosophy and Gnosticism, and uh, they did not. They taught that the body was insignificant. In other words, they thought that the only thing that mattered was the soul. That the body, um, they paid no avail to the body. So they they were those who had this philosophy that it was only the soul that mattered. So what you did in the body didn't matter. You could engage in immorality. You could eat idols. You could eat meat sacrificed to idols. There was no restraint on your body. And so uh, the early church is saying, no, 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 no. He's not only God, but he's also Lord. And if he's God, he's also Lord. In other words, he doesn't just save us, but he also gives us power to live victoriously in Christ. Am Am I right about it tonight? Has God not also given us power to live out righteously through our flesh, that we walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit? And so this was a lordship thing. The early church had to decide, 
whether they were going to walk and live under lordship. It's what we have to decide today. I hear it said all the time, there's a lot of people that are saved, but not everybody is free tonight. People are giving their bodies and giving themselves without avail to every type of thing that is coming down the pike. But listen, if Jesus has saved you, he's also become our Lord and our master. And there's a lordship that comes in our walk with God. And so Jesus had dealt with this. And so why, do you, why were they so strong? Why was this a strong church? Maybe because of the leadership, because Paul and John was there. In Acts, the Bible says that Paul preached every day for two and a half years. He started out in the synagogue, and uh, the Jews had an uprising and ran him out of the synagogue. And the Bible says that he went and taught in the school of Tyrannus for two and a half years. Every day, Paul would teach in the, in the school of Tyrannus. Every day. Teaching. It was such a powerful impact that it began to affect the city. Matter of fact, the scripture tells us there was a, a silversmith by the name of Demetrius who got upset because Paul was winning so many people to Jesus that his idol business had, he wasn't selling idols. And so he began to raise up against Paul and raise up against those in the early church and began to want to persecute them. And uh, uh, because they weren't selling idols, people were getting changed and delivered and free. Wouldn't that be awesome in a city to see God so transform a city that everything that was immoral in that city had to shut down because of the righteousness that flowed through the streets of that city. <laughs> yes, amen, right? I mean, I, it doesn't matter to me. I hope every bar in this town shuts down. I mean, I'm not speaking against people. I'm just believing that God can set men free. God, empty every bar in this city. Bring men to Christ that there's such a transformation that you can't find wickedness in the city. That's what began to happen. And so it got so bad that uh, they were wanting to drag Christians into the theater. And if it wasn't for one of the governors that stood up and said, hey, we have laws for this. And it was a riot that had taken place. You know, sometimes riots are good. <laughs> no, they really are. I mean, I remember one time uh, when I was a young preacher and we were preaching on open air preaching in Cincinnati. We did it every Friday. And uh, our prayer was when we prayed, we would go down and we would open air preach. Open air on Friday nights in downtown Cincinnati. We did that for eight years. Every Friday night through the summer. Rain or shine, we showed up. And, uh, and our prayer was, as we prayed before we went down, we said, God, either you say, either revival or riot, that's our prayer. And I want to tell you, there were some nights we had riot. <laughs> we had riot. Matter of fact, I remember one night, there was a religious group that showed up down there while we were preaching, and they wanted to argue doctrine with us. And we're like, we're not here to argue doctrine. I don't care what you wear to church or what you don't wear to church or whether you have makeup or don't have makeup on. 
If you want to wear it, wear it. And it became this huge argument and the square just became full of just this, this chaos that was going on. And we were like, we looked at one another and said, well, we prayed either revival or riot would show up. And, uh, and, I, and I remember that while I was preaching one night, there was a, a man that was standing off to the left. There's a little platform. He was standing off to the left and we would preach and he'd be amening. He'd say, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And you know, I instantly you thought, well, this guy's a believer, you know, he's one of us, right? I mean, he's encouraging. He's saying amen. And, and this, this guy walked by that was drunk. He had been drinking and he began to mock us. He began to cuss at us and mock us and, and, you know, God's dead and all this stuff. Well, this guy that had been amening us walked over and sucker punched this guy and began to cuss him out. <laughs> I thought to myself, man, we don't need any favors from people. I mean, he literally cussed the guy. I mean, I don't mean just like called him a word. He cussed the guy. And, uh, and <laughs> it was the craziest thing. But sometimes... The early church was very effective at Ephesus. Jesus said, I have, I have something against you. He said, you've lost your first love. First is a word of priority. And it was because, because you first loved me, now you have left that love. And now everything you do has become a project has become a habit or sticking it out. In other words, you know, loveless labor can become dry and boring. If we, do th if we just do things to do them and not out of our love for Jesus and our love for the kingdom, they can become boring in our life. I believe Christians can lose their first love, their first passion for Christ, and we can just become busy. And just do things religiously. Jesus said that if you don't repent, if you don't change, I'm going to remove the lampstand out from under you. The loveless, the loveless labor, no matter how good it is, you lose your effectiveness. You lose your light in the darkness. You'll lose your power. Jesus longs for relationship, not just behavior. He just doesn't want us to do religious stuff. He wants us to love him. He wants us to do it because we love him above everything else. How many are thankful you love Jesus tonight? Repent and do your first works was his instruction. You do them because you love Jesus. I'm going to... The city of Ephesus, of course, was a major city until the third century when the Goths plundered Ephesus. They destroyed the temple of Artemis. And because years later, uh, Christianity had Christianized Rome, it was never built back. But um, I'm going to close with something in just a minute. But I want, um, I'm going to ask Dr. Sean to come up. Dr. Sean, of course, um, teaches uh, classical history at Hanover, and he has been to Ephesus. He has led teams to Ephesus archaeologically, and he's also uh, been there 
visiting a couple times, right? And, um, and I asked him tonight, I said, being an eyewitness of Ephesus, you know, there are places in the world I'd like to go, but I wanted him to share about some of the things that, that spoke to him and to just confirm some of these things that we talked about tonight. Sure. Thank you, Pastor Shane. I, uh, I have a long history with Ephesus going all the way back to my, uh, the early part of my graduate career uh, when I was doing field work in Turkey, some archaeological field work, and had the chance to visit Ephesus as a nearby site. I uh, went back later to do some of my own research, some perspective field work there. Uh, most recently, I've taken students uh, is, uh, from Hanover College on travel courses and gone down the western coast of Turkey. Uh, Ephesus is right there in the central po- part of the western coast of that nation. And so I've been there several times. And most recently with the students, you know, I observe their reactions to being there. And it really is uh, quite an experience because it's like walking out of a time machine back into the ancient world. And so as a, as a classical scholar, it's, it's really something that's quite amazing. Uh, as a Christian, though, there are reminders everywhere of the dark pagan past of the city of Ephesus, especially as you walk down what was known as, as Pastor Shane said, the Sacred Way, which is the main drag there uh, in Ephesus. Uh, everywhere you look, there are signs of, of temples to uh, gods and goddesses from the pagan world. There are uh, taverns where they used to serve uncut wine. Uncut wine is the equivalent then of, of hard liquor now. Um, there were multiple brothels, as it turns out. You know, every, every time I teach about that aspect of the ancient world, I always have just a handful of students who say, what, what's a brothel? And I just want to give them a hug because true innocence is rare uh, the, these days among college students. Uh, so I just want to go and give them a hug. But uh, of course, a brothel is a place, a house of ill repute, a building where prostitution was practiced. And it was rampant in the city of Ephesus. Keep in mind that being on the coast, it's a place where merchants come uh, for short periods of time to sell their wares and to trade. It's where sailors and other seafarers, military men, come to visit for a short period of time. Um, Ephesus was, as Pastor Shane mentioned, a center of the imperial cult, which was the institution uh, which was dominant in the eastern Mediterranean of emperor worship, worshiping the living emperor as though he were divine. And, and Ephesus was twice noted for building shrines to the living emperor as uh, centers of this practice of the imperial cult. So the, the testimony that you get when you walk in the major part of Ephesus, the main part, even now, as you look at these magnificent remains, is a legacy of sin, a legacy of idolatry, a legacy of lust, a legacy of, uh, well, just pride, pride of, of mortal men. The, the, there, there are sites that are related to the Christian history, but these are on the outskirts of of town, unfortunately. And so what most tourists nowadays see is the just how unwelcoming the soil for this Christian seed that was planted in the early church really was. This was arid soil for the planting of those Christian seeds. This was thorny soil, to be sure. Uh, it's a town that uh, well, Pastor Shane made the comparison earlier to, to Paris and to New York, but really I think the best equivalent is located out in Nevada here, a city, city called Las Vegas. What do they call Las Vegas? What's that nickname again? 
Sin City. That's right. And I'll tell you what, as a center of sin, right, Las Vegas is a place where people go for short-term visits very often, right? Quick week-long or weekend visits, just like Ephesus. People go to gamble, to drink heavily, just like Ephesus, for prostitution, just like Ephesus. Uh, and believe me, as a center of sin, Las Vegas is a tame version of what Ephesus was in the ancient world. That's the uphill battle that the early church had to fight in that particular town. Amen. Thank you, Dr. Sean. That was... Maybe someday I'll get to go. I, I told him that if I ever go back over to Europe, Israel, wherever, uh, Great Britain, wherever, I'm going to take him with me <laughs> and uh, a wealth of knowledge. And I, I told him, I said, if you need somebody to carry your bags, if you're taking a, uh, uh, some students, I'll be happy to carry your bags and, and be your scribe if you want. Um, I don't write very well, but I could, I, could, I could make use of myself. So, Pastor Adam, if you come tonight, I want to close with this tonight. I'm going to close with the words that Jesus said in Revelation chapter 2 in speaking to the church at Ephesus. This is what he said. And uh, he said, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I want you to see something. It says, To him who overcomes, I will give, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. He says that, if you remain faithful, if you stay faithful to me, in the end, I will give you, you will eat of the tree of life. Now, that's important because that is, that is a direct reference to the temple of Artemis and the goddess of fertility and, um, and of life. In other words, you know, she represented the tree of life for the Ephesians. She was the Ephesians' hope. Ephesians would go there. Uh, matter of fact, they say that there was a huge tree that was outside the temple that many of the Ephesians would go and they would put their hands on. And it was a symbolism of life, of fertility. So those who were wanting to be pregnant would lay their hands on that tree. Those who were wanting health, and prosperity would lay their hands on that tree. It was a hope for the Ephesians. It was a visible hope for the Ephesians. Jesus turns around and says that if you'll be faithful to me, that if, if, you'll, if you'll walk faithfully, stand, I'll give you the tree of life, which is eternal life, and you will eat off of a tree that is eternal. The emperors would have at times they would call palatial gardens that they would entertain guests of honor. Jesus said, not only will you eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God, it is in direct reference. Emperors would have these paradise gardens and they would welcome honored guests there. Do you see the analogy? Do you see what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying that what this world offers is no comparison to what I have for you. If you will remain faithful, you will eat off of the tree of life. You will be welcomed into the paradise of God. You'll be the honored guest in God's garden if you will remain faithful. Stay faithful. I have something far better than what the world gives you. Stand with me tonight.
as we close, I wanted to give you some background tonight. And, you know, as I begin to think about the early church in Ephesus and the challenges that they had, and I'm sure that some of them had to face martyrdom, you know, the emperors of Rome were ruthless to believers. But Paul saw many miracles. Matter of fact, the scripture says that, um, uh, I believe in Acts 19, that through the city of Ephesus, they began to throw his handkerchief on many of them, and those that were sick in body would begin to be healed. There were many miracles that were taking place to the point to where it began to transform that city where it was. I don't know about you, but man, having all these visions of fire and all these things, man, I want the fire of God to fall on this city. You know, the power of God to fall to where there's such a transformation in this city that we see that is, that is visible to the world that God is doing something different in our midst. To those who overcome can eat of the tree of life. Are you an overcomer tonight? Have you lost your first love? Have you allowed areas of compromise in your life? And you want to shut those doors tonight. We want to give you opportunity to shut those doors. To remain faithful tonight. To know Christ. To know Him in the power of His resurrection. To know Him in the power of who He is. Here in Ephesians 1, Paul begins this prayer for the believers that we're going to get into next week. It's a powerful prayer. Ephesus was the center that God sent everyone out into the world to. Thank you, Jesus. That we would just be a witness in this hour. Father, we thank you. Let's all just bow our heads tonight. Father, we thank you, God, that you have given us the power to be witnesses to overcome. You've given us the power to not compromise, to stay strong. Father, we thank you that you are faithful to us. And God, we thank you that we could stand in the midst of a culture that has given itself over to immorality, idol worship, that has given itself over to the worship of pagan deities. God, that we see an an out We see an outpouring of the demonic in our culture. Give us the power to pull down strongholds and to break the power of the enemy over our cities, over our homes, over our lives. God, give us the anointing to deal with the demonic that is rising up in these last days. May we learn how to put on the armor of God and stand and fight just like the church at Ephesus that would not put up with false teaching and would not put up with the Nicolaitans who would distort truth. Help us. Help us, God. Help us to fall down and follow our first love again, to fall in love with Jesus again. May there be a burning fire that burns inside of us 
Give us holy heartburn tonight as we draw close to you. We thank you for your word. It is so ever true. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Thank you for joining us for River Valley Community Church's podcast. If you feel led to give, you can click on the donation link in the description or visit our website at rivervalleymadison.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share with your friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.
And so we're to renew the mind. And when we repent, it means to go back or to turn back to. It means to return to. The word really is to return to the top. 